And good morning. It's good to see you all this morning, and it's an honor to be able to fill in this morning for Pastor Mike. He and his family are away in Alabama celebrating the wedding of a family member this weekend. So it's an honor and a joy to be able to speak this morning in his absence. Pray for them as they travel back over the next couple days. They'll be going through Atlanta traffic, so they can definitely use the prayers. Also, if you get a chance before you leave today, I would like to ask you to join me in wishing my beautiful bride a happy birthday. Today is her birthday. She is by far, after my salvation, the greatest gift that God has ever given me. I'm extremely grateful for her. <clears throat> I remember when my birthday fell on a Sunday in 2006, and that year my wife was on stage, and she was helping give the announcements that day, and she had the microphone, and she took that opportunity to invite everybody to a drop-in at our house later that day to celebrate my 40th birthday, which was very sweet of her, except for it wasn't my 40th birthday. It wasn't even my 39th. It was my 36th birthday that year. <laughs> and what bothered me the most about that little practical joke was when people came to the house later that afternoon, they didn't even say, you can't be 40. They just believed it. So the tables have turned, and today my wife's birthday falls on a Sunday, and I have the microphone. So I would like to take the opportunity to invite you all to our home later this evening after youth, um, 7.30, if you can make it. We're going to have a little drop-in to celebrate my wife, um, and we'll have some cake and ice cream. And I will just let you know that we're going to be celebrating her 29th. <laughs> We're talking about wisdom today, and I would be remiss if I did not exercise wisdom right there in that moment. The title of the sermon today is How to Ruin Your Life. That's not normally what you come to church to hear. Um, I actually already had one person tell me I saw your sermon title this morning, and I'm already feeling a little crushed. Um, I promise you, we're going to talk a little bit about um, the negative side of things, but we're going to turn it around and definitely give some insight about what the, the Lord's Word says about how to guard our lives. So what's the best advice you've ever been given? I've asked lots of people this question over the years, and as I share some of the answers that I've gotten, um, I'd like you to think about how you would answer that question. What's the best advice you've ever been given? Here are some of the answers I've heard to that question. If you're going to be stupid, you've also got to be tough. Yep. I've had people answer that question, make sure you marry someone good-looking. That's the face you're going to be waking up to for the rest of your life. <laughs> I've had people tell me just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Also had the answer, do the kind thing for at least one person that you wish you could do for everyone. And some great advice that I received from my in-laws years ago. One of the best things a dad can ever do for his children is to love their mother. Getting good advice is one thing. Taking it and applying it is another. It probably wouldn't be hard for you to think of someone you know who had so much going for them, and yet they made poor choices and failed to heed the wisdom that had been given them, and it caused significant damage in their lives. The Bible is filled with examples of this as well. People who ignored the wise counsel of God and it cost them and others dearly. 
We could begin with Adam and Eve and make our way through both the Old and the New Testaments for cautionary examples of what not to do. No one ever plans to ruin their lives. When we asked the recent high school graduates what their plans were for the future, not one of them said, well, I'm looking at making failure the goal of my life. Kids don't dream about growing up to be alcoholics. Students don't go to class to study how to be bankrupt. Brides and grooms don't go to the altar wanting their marriage to fail. But ruined lives do happen all too often. And they happen because of choices we make. Many of our most influential choices take place when we're relatively young. But all throughout adulthood, our ability to make wise choices shapes the course of our lives. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 9, verses 10 through 12, Fear of the Lord is the foundation or beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one to benefit. But if you scorn wisdom, you will be the one to suffer. King Solomon is considered one of the wisest men who ever lived. And although he faced major challenges in the later years of his life for stopping taking his own advice, God preserved some of the best wisdom he ever bestowed to Solomon in the book of Proverbs. Today, we're going to take a look at seven ways you can ruin your life. And if you got the insert in the bulletin, you can fill that out as we go through. And there's seven points, so I'm going to have to move relatively quickly to get through them all. These are seven tips guaranteed to help you make a mess of things based on the opposite of King Solomon's advice. And then after we look at the opposite of his counsel, we'll look at a resolution for what we really ought to do instead. So the first thing you can do if you want to ruin your life is do whatever you want. This is one of the biggest lies that people buy into. You can do whatever you want and get away with it. It's the lie that Adam and Eve bought into in the Garden of Eden. When Eve said to the serpent, we're not allowed to eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. If we eat it or even touch it, we will die. And then here came the lie. You won't die, the serpent said to the woman. Go ahead, eat, do whatever you want. Just like Satan said to Eve, he continues to try to get us to listen to the lie that we can do whatever we want and get away with it. The reality is everything you do leads you either further down the road to life and peace and joy or further down the path to death and fear and heartache. Proverbs 14, 15 says, only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. So if you want to ruin your life, do whatever you want and believe the lie that you'll get away with it. Live as if you believe that there are no consequences to bad decisions. If you want to ruin your life, forget that Numbers 32, 23 says that you can be sure your sins will find you out. But if you want to be wise, carefully consider the steps that the Lord wants you to take in any given situation. And then rather than doing whatever you want, do what God wants you to do. My dad used to tell my brothers and I when we were younger, if it pleases you to please the Lord, then do as you please. Think about that for a moment. You can do as you please as long as what pleases you is pleasing the Lord. Paul writes in Colossians 1.10, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him 
in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. If you want to ruin your life, do whatever you want. But if you want to guard your life, do what God would have you do. The second thing you can do to ruin your life is live outside of your means. Pastor Mike has been in a series um, recently on generosity and properly managing the finances that he gives us. This point fits well with what he's been talking about. If you want to ruin your life, live outside of your means. Have you ever heard the term $30,000 millionaire? It's not a positive term, but it's one that's become popularized over several, the last several years. And it indicates a person who projects an image of wealth well beyond their actual income. For example, buying a BMW when your budget really says you should buy a Chevy. Or when your budget says that you should be brown bagging it for lunch every day and you go out and eat at nice restaurants instead. It's really not a new concept, though. It's just a new name for a new generation. We used to call it keeping up with the Joneses. Whether it's due to ego or jealousy or just plain greed, people regularly bring ruin upon their lives from living outside of their means. And the truth is, there are many people who today are still paying for bad financial decisions that they made many years ago. When you spend more than you can afford, you still have to pay for it, usually plus interest. Living beyond one's means brings bondage and slavery, not freedom and joy. Many people think that they can have the things now that took their parents decades to acquire. And as a result, they bring debt and financial hardship on themselves and their families for years to come. Proverbs 22.7 is a very clear verse about the wisdom of not living beyond your means. It says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. If you wanna be a slave to debt and bring financial hardship on yourself and your family, then go ahead and live outside of your means. But if you want to experience the freedom that the Lord intends for his children, live below your means. I said, I didn't say within, I said below your means. God doesn't want us to be enslaved to debt. When Amy and I were in the process of um, buying the house that we currently live in, um, we had a, a good friend come to us and they heard that we were gonna purchase this particular house and said, I really think it's a mistake. I think that the house that you're looking at is not quite big enough and it's not in the nicest of neighborhoods. And my recommendation would be that you keep looking Try to find a different house. That was, a, that was kind of hard to hear. And we talked about it and prayed about it, and we felt that the Lord was definitely saying, this is the house that we want you to, to purchase. So we told that friend, it has plenty of room for our family. And it may not be the newest neighborhood, but it's in a nice established neighborhood, and we feel that this is where the Lord wants us to be. So we went ahead and purchased the house. This past Sunday, May the 19th, was our 15th anniversary of living in that house. And I can tell you over the course of those 15 years, as our income has fluctuated and things have changed, I'm really, really grateful that the Lord prompted us to purchase that house because it was comfortably within our budget. And we've been able to meet our mortgage payment every single month for 15 years as God's been faithful to supply. And I'm grateful we didn't buy a house that was beyond our means. And now we're empty nesters, so there's plenty of room in the house for us. And we also are the middle-aged couple. Well, she's 29 and I'm middle-aged. And we're the ones welcoming new um, young families into the neighborhood. If you want to ruin your life, 
live outside of your means. But if you want to guard your life, live below your means. Next thing you can do if you want to ruin your life is feed an addiction. Whether it's alcohol, money, drugs, pornography, food, sex, shopping, or another attraction, many, if not most people, wrestle with an addiction of some kind. These addictions bring, bring death, either literal death at times, often spiritual death, relational death, death to freedom and joy. I've told this story a few times over the years, and if there are any youth in the room today, you've probably heard me share this story before. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It's a terrible fight, and it's between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued talking to his grandson and said, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, sympathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. And he said, the same fight is going on inside of you and inside every other person too. The grandson thought, for about, it, thought about it for a minute and then he replied to his grandfather, which wolf will win? And the sage, wise grandfather simply replied, the one you feed. When you feed something, it grows. The more you feed an addiction, the stronger it grows and the harder it is to stop. Wisdom is stopping now, not later. It only gets harder and harder after each one last time. Here's how Solomon addressed the issue in Proverbs 11:6. He said, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. And the apostle Paul warned in Galatians 6, 8, that those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. It's pretty clear right there. Paul says, you feed your sinful nature, you'll reap a harvest of death and decay. It doesn't get any plainer than that. Are you experiencing, are you experiencing spiritual decay? If so, check the areas of your life that you're feeding and also check the areas that you're starving. Paul is telling us not only do we need to starve the cravings of our sinful nature, but we also need to feed the desire to please the Lord. He says that those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. The extent to which we are living to please the Lord and feeding the desire to be under the influence of His Spirit directly impacts the depth of intimacy that we have with God and the joy in which we abide on a daily basis, regardless of life circumstances. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
Starving our addictions is part of that denying ourselves that Jesus was talking about. Taking up our cross and following him daily, that's how we feed our relationship with Christ. So if you want to ruin your life, keep feeding an addiction. But if you want to guard your life, starve your addictions and feed your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're intent on ruining your life, the next thing you can do, number four, is run with fools. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. In a very real sense, you are becoming like the people you hang around. It's been said that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So take a moment and think about the four or five people that you spend the most time with. Who are they? Family members, friends, coworkers, classmates, neighbors. They are the ones whose ideas and beliefs and mannerisms and speech patterns you will be most influenced by. You know who these closest people are in your life. So ask yourself, are these people committed to following Christ and are they helping me become a better disciple of his? Or are they more negatively influencing me and causing me to think, speak, and act in ways that a follower of Christ should not? The reality is, plain and simple, if you hang around fools, you will become one. But if you spend time with people who are wise and are committed to serving Jesus with their lives, you'll also become wiser and more committed to following the Lord. I just want to say we are very blessed here at Trinity with many wise people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Not every church has the abundant gift of wisdom that God has given this church. I absolutely love the counsel and encouragement and wisdom that I receive on a regular basis from others in this church. I often think about the wise advice that Reverend Wiggins gave me. Standing right over there, as a matter of fact, when I came on staff, he pulled me aside and very gently he said, being a good pastor involves loving your people, leading your people, and learning from your people. Very, very true. I so appreciate his wise counsel. He's actually been counseling me since I was a college student. And I strive to follow that advice that he gave every day. I think of the example of Raymond and Marianne Fought and the wisdom that they've poured into me. Recently, I was talking with them and just sharing how much I appreciate their faithfulness to all the different meetings and events that the church has. Not only are they incredibly faithful to church worship services and Bible studies, but they recently sang in the Youth's Talent Show, which I very much appreciate, and they attended the piano and guitar recital here at church last Sunday. They also help lead the BYF ministry, and they're involved in so much more. I'm just really impressed by their faithfulness. So when I mentioned my appreciation to them, here's what they said. We were taught at a young age that when the doors of the church are open, we should be there. We've lived our lives making God's house a priority, and we've raised our children to do the same. And I've seen the spiritual impact that that commitment has made on their grown children and even on their grandchildren. What a wise, godly example of priorities that we all can learn from. There are lots of wise people around us. It's a matter of choosing who we are going to be influenced by. 
So who are you walking with? If you want to ruin your life, run with fools. But if you want to guard your life, walk with the wise. Another way to ruin your life is to believe that this life is all about you. You are one of nearly 8 billion people currently alive on planet Earth. And yes, even though you are special, so is each of the other nearly 8 billion people in the world. And so were the billions and billions of people who have come before us since the creation of mankind in the garden. As hard as it may be to swallow at times, and as difficult as it may be to hear, you are not the star of the show. The truth is, each and every one of us in this room has a cameo appearance on earth that very few people will see. And our names will be forgotten by all but just a few when our time on earth is through. People who become the biggest reality in their own world live dysfunctional lives. They are filled with disappointments and delusions of what life is all about. And when they leave this life, they don't actually leave any deep impact. But if you want your life to have importance and make a difference while you're here, live your life for God. Live your life to serve him and to serve others. Jesus is our greatest example of others-centered living. Matthew 10, 44 and 45 gives us a portrait of Jesus' perspective on priorities. It says, and whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So just think about this. The most powerful person to ever walk the earth used his power to serve others. He lovingly served those who betrayed him, not just Judas, all of the disciples and us. He served us willingly, dying for our sins on the cross. And by dying, he rescued us from sin and from selfishness and by the might of his spirit, he gives us access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he gives us access to that power, not so that we can live for ourselves, but so that we can serve God and others with our lives. If you want to ruin your life, live it by believing that everything is all about you. Make your wants and your needs and your ambitions and your feelings the most important thing. But if you want to truly experience the abundant life that Jesus offers, Live with the attitude that he did. The attitude that Philippians 2, 5 through 10 tells us that we're supposed to have. These are from my life verses. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself and obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This life is not about you. This life is not about me. This life is about Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Your reason and my reason for being on planet Earth is to give our lives in worship and service to Jesus.
So if you want to ruin your life, believe it's all about you. But if you want to guard your life, serve God and serve others with it. Sixth way to ruin your life. Live for immediate gratification. Almost nothing worthwhile comes quickly. It takes time and discipline to accomplish significant goals. You don't become an Olympic athlete overnight. It takes time and energy to get a college degree or even just to get in shape or to become a good husband or wife or parent. Many lives have been derailed from reaching their full long-term potential because of indulging in the immediate gratification of the moment right in front of them. An amazing marriage, a, a, a marriage that God designed to be amazing is all too often sacrificed on the altar of one amazing night. Savings accounts are never built the way that they could be because living for the now becomes a way of life. Retirement is delayed or non-existent for a number of growing people because the immediate all too often takes precedent and robs the future. Proverbs 21.20 says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Do you want an amazing marriage, an amazing family, an amazing ministry, an amazing career? Then keep your eyes on the goal that God has set up before you. Keep investing every day by being faithful to the call that God has given you in these areas. And don't reach for that carrot of immediate gratification that the enemy of our soul keeps dangling out in front of us. Make decisions not just carefully, but prayerfully. And watch how God uses that over time to bless you with increasing wisdom and stability. So if you want to ruin your life, live for immediate gratification. But if you want to guard your life, hold out for God's best for you. Final tip this morning. If you want to ruin your life, avoid accountability. We all have the tendency to mess up and to be blinded to our own weaknesses and shortcomings. We can easily convince ourselves that we can do things all on our own and rationalize and justify our own behaviors. We are experts at times of letting ourselves off the hook from the responsibility of confessing our sin. And we are quick to point out the fault in others while turning a blind eye to our own faults. God created us to live in community with others. He designed us to need him and to need each other. His word calls us to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to sharpen each other, and to help carry one another's burdens, and to help one another in times of sorrow and weakness and trials. Lots of people try to convince themselves that they can handle whatever comes their way on their own. They put on a strong front of bravery and independence. But deep inside, they are lonely and empty and know that they need other people. One of the main reasons that people avoid accountability in biblical community is because they don't want to be corrected. They don't want to give up the behaviors that they know will need to be changed when they start moving into a deeper level of accountability and maturity in the body of Christ. But if a person really wants to change and really wants to grow in their walk with their Lord, with the Lord and with their fellow brothers and sisters in the family of God, one of the best things that they can do is plug into biblical community and connect with an accountability partner. Proverbs 12:1 says, "Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid." 
If we truly want to grow in wisdom and live according to God's will, we will welcome the discipline and reproof that comes through being accountable to God and each other. I love what this says in Jeremiah 17, 9. Such a, a stark reminder to us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Because of our ability to deceive ourselves into believing lies, we must remain accountability, accountable not only to God, but to others in the body of Christ, especially those who are wise. Accountability is a gift from God to help us stay on the right path and to live spiritually successful lives. I have an accountability partner that I, we, I meet with on a regular basis. We've known each other for over 22 years now, and we have spent countless hours encouraging each other, exhorting each other in God's word, and praying for one another. We have a very transparent relationship, and we're able to ask each other the hard questions. We're also able to speak the truth in love to each other. My accountability partner is such an incredible gift to me. Do you have an accountability partner? Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. God wants us to be in a discipleship relationship where we can grow spiritually with others in our walk with the Lord. The Bible is filled with examples of mentoring and discipling. We could look at Jethro and Moses. We could look at Naomi and Ruth. We could look at Paul and Timothy, just to name a few. And then, of course, Jesus and his disciples. Accountability through mentoring and discipleship is a very important part of growing in our walk with the Lord over the course of our lives. So as, as we start to close here, I just want to share a couple of suggestions about connecting with an accountability partner. First of all, if you don't have one, don't delay in getting one. Begin praying immediately about the person that the Lord would like you to approach about being in an accountability and discipleship relationship with. Relationship with. We've been talking today about growing in wisdom and running with the wise. Ask God to lead you to someone who demonstrates godly wisdom and will help you grow in wisdom as well. I would also suggest that guys should look for a male accountability partner and ladies should look for a female accountability partner. I personally don't recommend that members of the opposite sex be accountability partners with each other, including husbands and wives. There are a number of reasons for this and I'd be happy to talk about it more in depth with you if you'd like to, but Amy and I have worked with a lot of people over the years in the area of accountability. And it's been our observation that the best situation is for guys to meet with guys and ladies to meet with ladies. Next suggestion, make the ask. One of the hardest, most important steps is to simply ask someone if they would be willing to meet with you and be an accountability partner with you. Don't let the fear of someone saying no keep you from asking or the fear of someone finding out some of the hidden areas of your life and you, if you meet with them. It's worth the risk of putting yourself out there. The end results in your relationship with the Lord will far outweigh the risk. I also would say, as the, the last kind of suggestion about this, if someone approaches you asking you for accountability, let your heart's first response be to help. Maybe you need to pray about it, or if you're married, maybe you need to talk to your spouse about what it would look like in your schedule, or if there be any reasons why you couldn't, but let your first inclination be to try and find a way to make it happen rather than immediately declining or finding reasons why you can't. God made us to live in relationship with each other. 
In fact, he said that we would be known as his disciples by our love. Let us truly love one another and be willing to roll up our sleeves and plug into biblical community the way he wants us to. People don't resolve to ruin their lives. We have an innate hope to be great moms and great dads and great husbands and wives. We, we desire to be great children and students and teachers and pastors and neighbors and friends. We hope to be faithful in our walk with Jesus. But all faithful lives are the result of small faithful steps taken every day. Mature disciples are the result of a long obedience to God over the course of time. I'm gonna say that again. Mature disciples are the result of a long obedience to God over the course of time. If you wanna ruin your life, avoid accountability. But if you wanna guard your life, plug into biblical community. I know we've run through a lot of different things this morning. And if you didn't catch them all, maybe one or two of them stuck with you as an area where the Lord wants to help you grow right now. So my encouragement would be just resolve today to lean into his wisdom and to be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I wanna leave us with one verse. If we wanna be truly wise, I think this is a great verse to memorize. Deuteronomy 13, four. Great verse to memorize and to put into practice to sum up all the things that we've talked about this morning. This is what it says. Deuteronomy 13, four says, serve only the Lord your God and fear him alone. Obey his commands, listen to his voice, and cling to him. Serve him, fear him, obey him, listen to him, cling to him. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we do cling to you this morning. We thank you that you are the God who redeems. We thank you, Father, for the wisdom that you give us. We thank you, Father, for the fact that even when we do mess up, when there has been ruin in our lives, that you are the one who restores. And so, Father, I pray for everyone in this room right now, whatever situation they may be facing, Father, I pray that you will help us to be willing to do the things that we need to to guard our lives, to follow the wisdom that you've given us and called us to have as your children, and to help extend that wisdom to others. Father, I pray that you will help those who are older to pour into those who are younger. I pray that those who are younger, Father, would seek out the wisdom of the older. Father, I pray that you would use us mightily to be a light in this community. Father, may we as your children be known as your disciples by our love and the wisdom we demonstrate. We thank you and we give you all the praise and the glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all very much for being here this morning and we'd like to invite you to join us for Sunday School. It'll be starting in about 15 minutes. You can stay around for that. And also, just a quick reminder to pray for Pastor Mike and his family as they'll be traveling back and the 29-year-old is over here on the front row if you want to say happy birthday to her. God bless you. Y'all have a great rest of your day.